0: Okay, this morning's message um, is on the extraordinary birth of John the Baptist based on the scriptures that Stan just read from Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 66. When we read scripture, I feel like we always need to ask ourselves, who or what is this passage about? What's the focus here? Uh, What is God trying to say to us through his word? Surely our Heavenly Father provided these verses not just so we could have nice Bible stories for bedtime or to have a, a historical account of numerous events from biblical times. I think we need to ask, what is it he wants to reveal to us? And then how should we respond? How does he want to use us in the lives of others? Remember, God had been silent for 400 years before the angel visit to Zechariah. So the first chapter of Luke is quite a significant chapter in terms of the Bible and our world. Let's look beginning with verse 57 It says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. To us today, this is no real surprise. We know the story. If you remember earlier in this chapter, the angel of the Lord had appeared to Zechariah as he was ministering in the temple. And the angel declared, Your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will have a son. I'm guessing this was quite a surprise to Zachariah at his age. Scripture tells us that both Elizabeth and Zachariah were advanced in years, and they had no children because Elizabeth was barren. Don't you imagine that by this time, Zachariah had probably forgotten that he ever prayed that prayer for a son? And if not, surely by now he wasn't expecting an asser- affirmative answer from God. Sure, I'll bless you with a son. So as a result, Zachariah questioned how he would know that what the angel said would be true. I really like how the King James Version kind of gives us some insight on what may have been um, Zechariah's doubt to the angel Zechariah's words in King James say, For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. Um, Since I know each lady who is here today, um, I think I can probably agree with you and you with me that if an angel of the Lord were to appear and say that we were going to have a son now, we would probably feel well stricken in years. Um, Just thinking that's the case. So despite the fact that we could feel that Zachariah's questioning might be justified, still he was visited by an angel of the Lord. When an angel of the Lord pays us a visit and we persist in doubt, we probably can expect some considerable consequences. So Zachariah was stricken, and he was unable to speak and remained that way until the eighth day after John's birth, um, the day the baby was to be circumcised. On that eighth day, as they were gathered together to name the infant and to hold the important ceremony of circumcision, there likely appeared no need to discuss what they were going to name him since in the culture of that time, most assuredly, the boy would be named after his father or at least after a family member. However, as they prepared to name the infant Zachariah after his father, Elizabeth spoke up saying, no, he shall be called John. That must have come as a considerable shock to the neighbors and the friends who were gathered there. I'm guessing at that time it wasn't real common for a woman to speak up in such a manner, but also that he wouldn't be named after his father didn't fit in with how they did things. It just wasn't done that way. So they must have thought, surely Elizabeth is mistaken uh, or misguided at best. So they made signs to Zachariah to inquire about the baby's name. Now, notice they didn't ask him out loud. They made signs. Now, nowhere in scripture can I find that it says Zachariah was deaf, although one source I looked at did say he was deaf and mute. Um, so I was talking to Bonnie this morning as we were getting ready, and I said, do you remember any place where it says he was also deaf? And she said, no. So I'm thinking Elizabeth probably had them a little rattled at this point. So they're making signs to Zachariah to try to say, what is it that you want to name him? And he gave her an answer. I think sometimes we're like that. Um, God does things unexpectedly, and we think surely that, can't be what he meant to do. You know, we've always done it this way. Sometimes I've heard people say those are the seven words of a dying church. Well, we've always done it this way. Why change? When that happens, sometimes we forget what we do know is fact, and sometimes we assume that there are things that are just hard and fast rules. Yet at times, God in quite unexpected ways comes and breaks our hard and fast rules. And this day would be one of those times when God does just that. So Zechariah asked for a tablet and wrote the message that indeed Elizabeth was correct. His name is John. Scripture tells us everyone wondered at this. But that wonder may well have been short-lived since immediately following the proclamation of John's name, Zachariah's mouth was open, his tongue was loosed, and he spoke. And what were his first words? If you look at the passage, it tells us what his first words were. We're told that he spoke blessing God. Think of that. Zechariah spoke blessing God. He didn't speak in anger. He didn't complain. He didn't refuse to name him John instead of after himself. As the angel had said, rather he spoke blessing God. He could have spoken any number of things after more than nine months of silence. But he chose to bless the Lord. I well remember one year I prayed asking God to help me speak less and listen more. Some of you may relate to praying something and then later realizing that maybe wasn't the smartest prayer you've ever prayed because sometimes um, God answers what we ask. And He did with me on that occasion. Shortly after praying that prayer, I began struggling with a situation that I've never experienced before and really hadn't expected to experience. And during that time of struggle, I really had no desire to talk less, no desire to listen more, no desire to be still. Um, I just wanted to speak out firmly and tell people the way things were and the way they should be, at least based on what I thought. Um, And my desire to do that was not based on anything I read in Scripture saying, really just tell them how it is. Um, It wasn't because I felt the Lord leading me to do that. Um, I really think in retrospect that my desire to do that was because I doubted God. I didn't really believe that he had things under control. And I felt if he were watching, surely he wouldn't handle things in the way that they were going. Doesn't it appear that Zachariah may have been thinking something similar. I suspect that he questioned the angel when the angel appeared to him, not because he felt it was a godly thing to do or because God was prompting him to question what the angel whom God had sent was saying. I believe he questioned because he doubted God. After all, how could his wife Elizabeth, barren her entire life, become pregnant and give birth to a son so late in life. One source that I came across, don't go out and quote me on this because I doubt the authenticity of this source, but one source indicated that Elizabeth could have been in her 88th year of life at the time John was conceived. I found that rather ball-dropping. Surely, Zachariah must have thought, surely God won't work in this way. It didn't seem right and it didn't even seem logical. During the period of my own trial, right after I had asked God to help me speak less, listen more, um, he didn't strike me unable to speak, although that might really not have been a bad idea. But time and time again, he impressed upon me a few simple words from Psalms Be still and know that I am God and as I strained to be still during that time everywhere I looked I was driving into a camp one evening and on the car in front of me was a sticker I've never seen one like it before never seen one like it since but it said be still and know that I am God I was walking into the sanctuary at a church and right above the entrance doors, it had never been there that I recalled, it said, be still, know that I am God. And even there was a sign in a store, which I actually bought and have in my kitchen now, and it said, be still and know that I am God. Zachariah was also called to be still for a period of time. And much as I felt during my struggle, I imagine he may have wanted to argue with God, to cry out, to complain during those nine months of silence. Nevertheless, he could say nothing until God's time. And until then, he was called to be still. I think at some point in our lives, most of us fight stillness. While at other times, stillness may come as a quiet comfort filled with peace and rest for us. Other periods of stillness, I believe, allow God to speak to our hearts and our spirits in ways that we're not able to hear, especially in the hubbub of our busy worlds today. And the technological clamor of our phones and our tablets, our text messages and emails, the doorbell and on and on and on with noises that are constantly bombarding us. It could be in a stillness, whatever form stillness may come in our lives, that God may speak to us in that still small voice, working to change our hearts, our minds, our spirits, and our attitudes in ways that only he can, in ways not fashioned by men, in ways possible only through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. At the end of that day long ago, we see that as soon as Zachariah's voice was restored, his heart had been changed. His previous heart of doubt had been changed to one of trust as his first words came forth in blessing to God. Clearly, the many months of silence weren't a fruitless time period for Zachariah. Rather, they were likely some of the most important months in this soon-to-be father's life. To be transformed in just nine months from a doubt-filled heart to a heart full of blessing towards God is indeed time well spent. And so they called the promised child John. John, or Johannan means the Lord has given grace, or God is gracious. Let's think about that. John's name means the Lord has given grace. What a fitting name for one who, as Isaiah wrote, would be the messenger sent ahead of the Lord Jesus to prepare his way. Literally, Scripture says, one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. The Lord, the psalmist spoke of here in Psalm 10, is the Lord Jesus the only Son of God, Jehovah. John's call was to prepare the way for Jesus Christ and to prepare a people for God. As I was preparing this, that struck me in a way that I never had really seen before. According to verses 16 and 17, the angel who appeared to Zechariah foretold of John, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him, that's before Christ Jesus, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the just and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. We've come this far without directly answering the questions that I began with today. As we began, we considered what God might want to reveal to us in these verses in the middle of this first chapter of the book of Luke. Our answer, I believe, is quite similar to what he wanted to reveal to Zachariah, to his neighbors, and to his family all those years ago. And that is that John's life would be special and significant, not in and of itself, but due to the one whose life he would be announcing. Let's look back at the final verses in today's passage, beginning with verse 65, that next to the last verse that Stan read. Verse 65 says, And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. In that day, they didn't yet fully understand what this child would be, but they clearly knew the hand of the Lord was with him. Today, we do know what this child would be, the one whom we know as John the Baptist. He would be the one to prepare the way for Christ, the Son of the living God. John was the one entrusted with heralding, the one who would become the Savior of the world our Savior, the one who was and is the good news. You see, John's message focused on sin and repentance, but the one who followed John, Jesus Christ, proclaimed himself as the one who would save us, as people, from our sin. Scripture tells us that we are to be perfect, even as our Father is perfect. Yet none of us, not one of us, can be perfect. But in today's world, much striving, if you've noticed and listened to news reports and read the papers and articles online, much striving seems to take place to assure us that we are indeed not really sinners. And should we do something bad, we're really not that bad. Instead, we're each different We mean well, we should be accepted, respected, and especially we should be encouraged to stay just the way we are. Anything less than that, pop culture tells us is mean, hateful, bigoted. The problem with this seemingly well-meaning message is that it doesn't line up with the Word of God. Scripture tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That all means each and every one of us. Yes, it means you, whomever you are, however highly people think of you, or however poorly people think of you. And it means me as well. Listen to how Kent Hughes describes this scenario. Listen to this carefully. I think this is excellently stated. What a gift John gave his people by preaching on sin and judgment. This is too often neglected today. In some quarters, the gospel is preached as the way to the good life and upward mobility. That is not the message we have been given to proclaim. Preaching the gospel is an inestimable privilege and responsibility because without an understanding of the depth of our sin, the incarnation and the atoning death of Jesus Christ make no sense. If we do not see ourselves as radically sinful and totally lost, the cross makes no sense at all. But if we are lost and in fact dead in our sins, the cross makes all the difference because it is our only hope. When men and women are awakened to the depth of their sin and the fact of certain judgment, the gospel becomes the best news in the world. The bad news about us makes way for the good news of Christ. In fact, there is no good news apart from the bad news. Let me repeat his final sentence once again. In fact, there is no good news apart from the bad news. You see, when we fail to see ourselves as sinners, we fail to see our need of a Savior. John the Baptist's purpose was to prepare the way of the Lord, and to make a prepared people for God. How then should one prepare people for God? It is through ensuring people see themselves, indeed that we see ourselves as sinners, totally devoid, apart from Christ, of any redeeming qualities. Thus, John's life and message is the reason we are gathered here in this place today. We gather to recognize ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior, and we gather to give glory and honor to our God who provided his sinless son's perfectly lived life to fulfill the requirements of God's law and to restore our relationship with him, the only true God. When we believe this good news, as we look to the coming week, let's ask ourselves, what shall I do with what God has said in these 10 verses from Luke's first chapter? Each of us must answer this in our own heart. We may choose to do nothing to look at these words simply as an unlikely story, perhaps true, maybe not true. On the other hand, we may do as those, as scripture says, in all the hill country of Judea did with this story. We may choose to lay it up in our hearts and ask ourselves, what then will I be for the Lord my God? How is it he wants me to respond to this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose way John prepared? How is it he wants to use me to bring honor and glory to him? How is it he wants to use me to speak hope and life to a lost and hurting and dying world, which we clearly see nationally and internationally, but also in this very town where we live in Parkersburg. Whatever your response, whatever my response will be, for each of us, our response will affect what we shall to God. Today, I ask you, I challenge you to ponder this in your hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.